Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. Today's guest is Noah Garden-Schwartz. Uh, he's a writer on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. He has a Comedy Central half-hour special, and he is newly married. Uh, we, this episode has everything, sex, drugs, OCD, gambling. Um, he even lets us in on how he knew his wife was the one. That's very powerful. Um, and then we get into some heavier topics. Noah uh, lost his mom when he was 25 and talks to us about how he dealt with that pain, how he dealt with that hurt, and how he's not able to thrive. He also shares with us how he overcame a difficult breakup. We've, we've all had our hearts broken, and, uh, and it just feels like uh, the pain is never going to end. And 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 uh, Noah shares with us how he uh, handled that. He also tells us about some books that his favorite books, uh, well, at least one of his favorite books. He names three, but only one are his favorite. And and then we get into talking about premarital counseling. We we learn some some tasty tidbits of uh, of what to do right before you get married, and then. Uh, he gives some very powerful words at the very end uh, to when 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 I ask him the question of uh, what would you say to someone who is thinking about taking their life. So stay tuned and let's get into it. I'm not. First of all, the fact that you mentioned Fruit Loops that that already lets me know why there's a discrepancy. No, I, d I don't normally eat like that, but that's it, that's why it was kind of a nice little treat. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to feel good about it going in every day this week eating sugar cereal. Yeah, but I was yeah, like, yeah. okay, I haven't had these since I was about 14. Let me grab this nice little bowl of Fruit Loops. Hold on. First of all, you only had one bowl? Just one bowl. Because if I'm doing Fruit Loops, I need like four boxes. No, like I, I had a mix did, and match. I did a whole other plate. I was eating like three meals at once. So Fruit Loops were the... Fruit Loops were my dessert because, you know, you can't put the milk in early. So first I went with the eggs and tater tots right, right, and okay. French toast. Okay. And then I did a salad. That's what I'm saying. I was all over the place. But yeah. that's where being a former pothead really helps because I could eat a variety of different meals Your stomach all is used and, to it. It's oh, already it's a tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner is just a suggestion. I could eat them all at once, no problem. <laughs> There's no way I could do that, man. I can't even mix... Yeah, I can't even mix. Uh, I can't even mix my vegetables with my proteins. I'm either like last night for dinner. I just had trout. I, I, that's See, it. The way the way you said Fruit Loops let you know where I was. The <laughs> fact that you said trout let me know exactly where you were on the eating. But that that's an elevated fish right there. That's not your everyday salmon tuna. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's that's a, that's a step up. Uh, it was funny because when I was in the buffet, and uh, I saw this, I saw this dude standing in the front of the trout like he was gonna get some, and I'm looking at him like, you, you know, you don't eat trout. Oh, just, just keep it going. Just keep it. This ain't for you. There's this levels is, to this. Yeah, shit. yeah. There's levels to this. Like you're not, you're not ready. Like you, you got a, you got a slice of pizza, and and you got a burrito on your plate. You're not. Don't. So, so tell me this, because I'm allergic to shellfish. Okay. So I've never had shrimp, lobster. Well, I had shrimp one time, and that's how I found out I was allergic. But when you go to a buffet like this, the real, because I see people 
in the buffets in Vegas just loading up on the seafood. Okay. Is that quality seafood or is that the type of thing you really shouldn't be eating if you go to a buffet? Um, it's probably not going to be the best. Se- it's probably good seafood. The way they prepare it's probably not the best. And how long has it been up there? Right. I, I think that's where the quality Got falls. It. Okay. Short, right? Um, like they might be using sunflower oil instead of olive oil. It's like the oils is where they, and then like, you know, they just keep heating and reheating. Food is just right. meant to be heated up once, you know, so your quality is, is going to diminish. That's where they get you. Um, but so yeah, shellfish, a lot of people are allergic to it and don't even know it or intolerant. Well, yeah, I grew up in a kosher home and my whole family has been kosher for generations. So I truly think like, I don't even have... The like, it's not the, in your the, DNA. Yeah, like I don't right, have the right. skills to process. So, trying to be sneaky, I got out the house when I was fourteen one time and and had shrimp, not knowing, blew up. Uh, oh, so you you, <laughs> like I didn't even know I was allergic. Right, it was just right, not a right, food right. I grew up with in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's trying to be and defiant. Then I and almost away killed from the yourself. parents one weekend and almost died. And I was like, okay, God, I see you. You got me. But you can eat Fruit Loops with French toast though. No problem. And a salad. No, no problem. problem. <laughs> I'm here. With Noah Gardner, I know you guys are like Gardner Schwartz. There you go. Um, I know, do people say Gardner a lot? Do, 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 no. Or, okay. There's a Garden Schwartz, Garden Schwartz discrepancy. Okay. But Gardner, that's a new one. I uh, here's what's funny. It's because you're flowers. Gardner I am and flowers. That's yes. what you wanted. I, I googled your name and uh, and the first thing you know how like it, it, the the Google gives you options for like what do you so as soon as I typed your name in it sure. was like. The first option was death. I was like, damn, did he die? Like, cause really? we post a, a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what that's all yeah, about. I didn't even click on it. I was like, I want to put that out there in the, in the, in the atmosphere. But it was like death. And then, it, you know, the, the third one was like marvelous Mrs. Maisel and then comedian. I was like, how's comedian not first? Why is death? Cause you're 35. Yeah, now, now I need to investigate. Yeah. This. You got some health issues we don't know about. Chris Turner was in the green room talking about SEO the other night. I don't know what I've done in my career to make death be the most searchable associated yeah. with my name. <laughs> right. Um, Noah, you just got married. I did six uh, weeks ago. Why? <laughs> why did why? I get married? Why get married? Uh, the divorce rates are high. Well, I'm not. I'm not worried about that. I don't. I don't think. I don't make decisions like that. One of my wife's like sayings that she took probably from an Oprah podcast, to be honest, but that always resonates with me is make decisions out of love, not fear. Wow. So so I would not marry the woman I fell in love with because I'm afraid that one day we're going to get divorced, you know. Um, but I was always one of those dudes that was like, I'm not getting married. Marriage isn't for me. And as I started my comedy career, I certainly didn't think marriage was in the cards for me because it's just not really conducive to the lifestyle. But... I met the one, as cliche as it sounds, I met the woman that changed the game for me and made me want to commit to her for life, made me want to actually start a family, made me um, appreciate the stability that she brought to my life, and she's a comedian. So all the things that made it hard to be in a relationship before as a comedian, finding a woman who understands why you're on the road all the time, why you work late nights, she's not only understanding of the lifestyle, she's part of the lifestyle. So that made it easier going forward. What what was that moment for you? Was there was there a moment, or was it just like a gradual, and then you're like, oh, this is a woman I'm gonna marry. You know uh, what no, I, mean? I never, no, I never had that. So it's weird because again, I grew up in a pretty religious Jewish household, mm-hmm. 
And I grew up kind of on the understanding of like, if I'm going to get married, I probably want to marry a Jewish woman. So I, I didn't have a lot of serious relationships growing up, but the two girlfriends that I would say were legitimate relationships before Esther um, that like I was in love, neither of them were Jewish women. And, and I wasn't in those relationships thinking like, oh, this is just like, there were times when I thought I was going to marry these women. Mm-hmm. But I think subconsciously, just because of like, my religion is such a deep part of who I am. That was that last missing link that didn't quite click, right? Got you. And Esther, and as much as I had always wanted to meet a Jewish woman and fall in love with a Jewish woman, I never met the right one. And I and I was willing to date anybody. So so it just wasn't happening. Esther was the first Jewish woman I met that I was sexually attracted to and connected with on that romantic level. And a lot of life is timing. Like she met me when I was finally stable in my life. Wow. Um, so it was just like the you know everything aligned the stars aligned for us to meet at the right time and she was what i was looking for long term but even then our relationship was a struggle like from the moment i met her i knew if i'm going to get married this is the type of woman i want to marry but even being in love dating for 2 years 3 years we almost broke up and did a long distance open relationship thing for a while because Esther wanted to get married and i wasn't ready yet like mm-hmm. she was ready to go from jump and it wow. took me a while to be willing to get married, even though I knew this was the type of woman and the woman I wanted to marry, for all the reasons we've kind of discussed. Right, right. What, because, uh, you know, one of the things that you, you, you mentioned that uh, you were finally stable, financially stable, right? That's so important. Is, are you talking about financially stable? Well, both. Uh, well, it, it's a chicken or the egg. Because, like, yes, I was finally financially stable, but the financial stability was more importantly what led to just, like, personal stability. So... I don't know, like when I say I was finally stable, I just mean as a person. I was more grounded, more mature, and ready to settle down in life. But I do think the financial stability helped lead to all of that. What was that? Could you talk to us about that journey of becoming personally stable and feeling grounded? Was Or was that even a journey or you just... Well, it's, you know, I mean, I moved to New York six years ago and... My first few years in New York, the city has an energy, comedy has an energy, and then especially doing comedy in New York, there's just a constant grind where you're just constantly moving and moving and moving. I wasn't making a lot of money, but I was having a lot of fun, Mm -hmm. you know, in all facets of life. So I'd go out, do shows, I'm on the road, come back, sleeping around, different women, drugs, drinking, and I say all that in a positive way. Like, I was having the time of my yeah, life. Right. You know, I wouldn't give up those days for anything. Like, I, this, isn't a, this isn't a sob story of, like, and I realized I had to change. No, I had a ball, and I have no regrets about that phase of my life. But there's only so much of it you could do for so long before you start thinking maybe, you know, maybe this is too much. And, and so I just kind of – I got all that out of my system. And then when my career – started picking up and again it's like a confusing chicken or the egg thing like esther came into my life right as my career stabilized and a lot of that was because of her it's like she kind of met me when things were getting the ball rolling but there's no doubt in my mind that esther becoming my partner and kind of bringing that last little bit of stability was the missing puzzle piece that made everything click professionally like there's 
it's no coincidence that as soon as I linked up with Esther, my career really took off. And I think part of that was just because of the amount of energy that I was no longer putting towards swiping on apps and going out and trying to get laid. You know, like I had something stable and it just shifted my focus in all areas, which led to more professional focus. Man, I used to be on those dating apps and it takes so much energy because even if you're not on the app, you're thinking about how to respond because you, you have all these messages and you're like, man, what do I say to her? And how do I respond to this? And, you know, is she going to come through? You know, like, yeah, you, like you got, you got to all these windows, like all these windows and tabs open on your laptop. It just requires energy that you don't think about until you step back away from it and realize right. suddenly how much more time you have. Right. And, and so now you and Esther have been married for how long? Six weeks. Six weeks. Did you guys do any uh, premarital counseling or postmarital? Uh, or? We, we haven't had to do postmarital things. Uh, not post <laughs> six six weeks in. So far, we're going strong. Uh, <laughs> um, so the year leading up to marriage, my uncle is a rabbi, and okay. he's the one that married us. Mm -hmm. um, and we did, I wouldn't say we did premarital counseling, but every few months, he would check in with us and give us little assignments just to make sure we were on the same page and going through the journey in a way that would set us up for a successful wedding mm -hmm. and then marriage after that. So he would just have us do little things that really helped along the way. Like what? Like one thing he had us do, I know this is pretty standard for people officiating a wedding because they want to know what to say, but he already knew us really well. So mm -hmm. it wasn't um, why he did it, but like two months out from the wedding, he had us write him a letter about the other of like why we were in love with the other person and why we wanted to marry them. And it was really nice. And we took it seriously. So it was really nice to just kind of take some time to really remind myself about all the things that made me fall in love with Esther and all the things that made me feel lucky to have her in my life. And it just, it was just a nice moment to reflect on that. And then the night before the wedding, he had us write each other love letters old school. He was like, no email, no text, sit down, pen to paper, write your spouse to be a love letter and just little things like that where you actually take the time to think about what you appreciate in that person put it down on paper and then share that with them those are little things that in today's world of fast pace you don't really stop to do that had it had a nice impact you know like the night before we were getting married because we didn't we didn't sleep in the same room the night before the wedding mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a a normal tradition, but like Jews right. typically don't share the room the night right. before the I think wedding. That's, I think that's normal. And and it was it was just nice, you know. We were each in our separate rooms reading these old school love letters from each wow. other, and it just kind of set the tone going into the next day. Wow, you, you know what's cool about that? Um, I with my ex girlfriend, I would when I was on the road, I would write her a letter from every hotel I stayed at. Nice, <laughs> smooth. You know, because what I, because hey, I, baby, coming to you from the best Western in Tulsa. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I, I realize, like, it, you know, because like you said, you're dating a comedian who understands, like, the, and, and your, 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 your typical civilian, they don't, they, even yeah. though they understand, it's emotionally hard. And I always knew that coming back home was going to be a little tough. And uh, so I would always write a letter because, even if we, you know, got into it, maybe because I, I didn't call enough or whatever, yeah. uh, as soon as she got that letter, I knew that that would, like... That's very nice. Of you know. Was there was there a, a law of diminishing returns? At a certain point, did the letter stop having the same effect on her? 
Nah. The, she never stopped appreciating it? Nah, nah. The letters always, that's a great question. The, nah, the letters always had that impact because uh, it's, because the letters always changed, right? Like sometimes it would just be a word, right? Sometimes it would be a long-ass letter. Sometimes I would put um, uh, other stuff in there, like uh, it would be like a collage or something. So I was creative nice. with what I was sending. Sometimes it would be a card, you know? Um, and so, like, I got creative with it. So she didn't know what it was going to be uh, that that uh, I was sending her. But it was just always something to – and it always gave me so, – it always gave me a little extra something uh, to look forward to coming home to. Like, to see that look on her face. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? For To be like, oh, my God. You know, get the phone call or whatever. You know, like – uh, it just it, it gets you excited, and, and that's you know that's it's a, a way to keep it fresh. That that unexpected handwritten letter. There's a website actually. Um, email me, I think. Basically, you can email yourself six months, a year, three years from now, and you won't get the email until then. Oh, that's dope. You know, um, it's funny. I got an offer to do a gig in July of 2020 mm -hmm. and i mean i'm always appreciative for any work that comes my way so i don't want to seem ungrateful but it was one of those that like it was kind of going to be a hell gig you know those ones where as soon as you get the offer it's like the money's not worth the amount of hassle it's going to take to get there the crowd's probably not going to be that fun because it's not like going to a club it was like a one-nighter a dude in jersey that just wanted me there and i was gonna do it and then because of my work schedule um like, I couldn't guarantee that I could get there by a certain time. So the guy was like, we'd love to have you, but I can't, like, I can't push it back. So I just ended up turning down the gig, and Esther actually had me write myself a reminder in my calendar that's going to set off at 5 p.m. in July 2020. That was just, like, reminder, instead of taking hell gig, you're at home with your wife right now enjoying a Friday night. Wow. And I'm sure I won't remember it. And then in July, I'm going to get this reminder. It's going to be like, dope. I'm glad I'm, I'm wow. chilling right now instead of, like, sweating at yeah. a shitty show. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because uh, even, you know, being here in Vegas, you know, uh, me, Noah, Chris Turner, uh, Nikki Carr will be here over the weekend. Oh, Nikki's uh, coming. Yeah, Nikki will be uh, uh, replacing me over the weekend because I got to leave uh, Kathleen Saturday. Dunbar. Kathleen Dunbar. And, of course, uh, the the – the hilarious Mark um, God, I, what's his last name? Cohen. Cohen. Mark Cohen. Um, we're all here at the Vegas Comedy Cellar, and I, I don't remember if it was you or Chris who was saying last night of like, um, you know, uh, how much your your you know seven days, and it's like, how do you keep yourself happy for seven that days? That was actually me and Chris. Me, you and Chris. All right, <laughs> we're both. Uh, Keeping yourself, because, you know, it, it is one of those things where, like, you you have to figure out how to take care of yourself on these longer mm -hmm. stretches, whether it's in Vegas for seven days or on a cruise ship for a week or two, uh, because that affects how you then come home and show up to your, your wife, yeah, right, to your loved one. Uh, what are some things that you do to, like take care of yourself do you have a routine do you have a like when you're on a road well, vegas is a little bit different just because it's vegas so right. that just changes the dynamic of your day and your surroundings in general but on the road the one thing that i started doing is like when i'm in a random city for a weekend is i'll rent a car i'll always put the money towards a rental car because i found that having the freedom to leave my hotel and go somewhere is invaluable 
that also allows me to comfortably get to and from a grocery store because the number one thing I've found that makes a difference on the road for me over the course of a weekend is being able to eat fresh fruit and vegetables as opposed to eating fast food three times a day for three days in a row. Like that just changes the way I feel. Um, so having a car and then having access to fresh fruit and vegetables and just good food really makes a huge difference. And then fruit loops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, it's a fruit. Fruit's in the name. Um, and then also one thing I wish I was better at, but like anytime I do work out, I feel better. Sometimes I'm lazy and I, I, I wish I could say I get to the gym every day when I'm on the road and I yeah. don't. But when I do, I always feel better. Uh, you know, I, I, I was on the road with Callan and I thought that like I worked out. And Brian Callan, he doesn't work out. He trains. Oh, like, yeah. like this dude, like he every city we go into, he has a trainer. Whether it's and not necessarily like a personal trainer, but somebody who's going to train him on mitts or with his jujitsu or with really? his kickbox, like, like that's and, great. But I think also because he puts that energy out there, so when people see he's coming to their town, they hit him up and be like, "That's nice. Hey, come to our gym, you know, right. blah blah blah." It's an honor uh, to have you. Yeah, here. absolutely, absolutely. And then they, you know, the whole cross promotion and stuff like that. And uh, I was like, "Oh man, this guy's at another level uh, with it." And then uh, Andrew Schultz, who was here, yeah. one time I was here, that dude works out every day, yeah. beast mode. You well, know. You, you know what I will say, though? Um, one thing the road really made me appreciate, and I think possibly because I live in New York most of the year and it's so fast-paced and nonstop, mm -hmm. I actually take pleasure in those days of a few hours of doing nothing. Like, I know a lot of comedians that feel bad if they don't accomplish something on the weekend. Like, oh, I've got all this time I need to write. Or I'm in this city, I need to go out and tour and see the city. Oh, yeah, that's me. I have no problem staying in my hotel room for five hours at a time, just like TV on in the background, laying in the bed. And for me, that as lazy as it sounds, that is a form of self-care. Like for me, just shutting down, turning everything off and not putting pressure on myself to produce, not putting pressure on my body to be out there and just like let everything recharge for hours at a time is nice. Yeah. And so, you know, like Vegas, seven days of that might be too much. But if I'm somewhere for a weekend... I don't mind staying in bed from like noon to 5 p.m. on a Saturday and just letting everything chill. Well, yeah, I, I could see that definitely, especially w with a wife, because, uh, you know, it's like you wake up and it's, it's go, go, go. If you don't have something to do, she got something for you to do. Or right. Fix so just or pick up. Yeah. Like having no one I need to talk to. <laughs> yeah. No, nothing I need to do. My own room, my own bathroom. <laughs> right, right. Just chilling. I, I like it. Most of my personal training clients are Jewish. Yeah. And they're all in therapy. Have you been in therapy? Or no. are you in therapy? Or? No, I'm not in therapy and I've never done therapy. But, I, but like everyone in my family is in therapy and they all swear by it. I'm not opposed to therapy. Your parents I'm, are in therapy? My dad, my mom passed. Okay. Um, but my dad is in therapy. My sister's in therapy. And, um, I'm I'm not avoiding it. Like I'm sure therapy would help me, but I don't have anything pressing. Like if if you set me up with a therapist tomorrow, mm -hmm. and they were like, "So what do you want to talk about?" There's nothing that I'm just like waiting to get off my chest. And and <laughs> right. I've had trauma in my life, but I've done a lot of part of being a comedian. I think we're so introspective. I've done a lot of processing that I hope and assume I've done in a healthy way. So mm -hmm. like I'm very self aware and have dot and have done a lot of reflecting on my issues and why things happen the way they have and what needs to change. Um, and that's not to say I'm as good as a licensed therapist, but I just like, again, there, there's nothing 
eating away at me that I think therapy could absolutely help with. Mm-hmm. But I've seen the positive effects. It's not of keeping therapy. you. Nothing's keeping you up at night or got no, you. Right, no, right. thankfully, no. What I mean, uh, if you don't mind talking about it, what were some of the traumas that you've had that you've worked through? I mean, certainly, and, my mom passed when I was 24. Okay. Um, and there were years. I think I absolutely should have gone to therapy after my mom passed. And there were years of self-destructive behavior that followed that. But then as I grew and matured, I did a lot of reflecting on my behavior during that time and after. And have made changes in my life that I feel like uh, I've come out ahead on the other side. That I, 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 so y- your mom passes. And then I, I'm assuming you ramped up drugs. Yeah. Gambling. Drugs, gambling, right. sex, and those right. those were all things. To be perfectly honest, that I've always enjoyed my entire <laughs> life. So it wasn't like it wasn't like my mom passed and then I all of a sudden picked up these bad behaviors. Right. But I right. just I just didn't have the same value of my own life. Like just having dealt with death, I just kind of turned into that numb twenty four year old. Mm-hmm. I don't care what who cares what happens. And so it was just like I wasn't worried about the consequences that came from some of my reckless decisions. Right. And then how did you work your way through that? Like, how did, when did you go, we got to, because you still drink, I assume? You drink? No, I'm not. I was never a big drinker. Like, oh, okay. um, I was much more of a weed guy than weed? I certainly okay. had my shroom and acid phase. Okay. Um, I've never been much of an uppers guy. Like, Coke, I've done twice in my life, don't like it. Okay. Um, but yeah, like, I used to be an all day, every day weed smoker, and then I had my shroom and acid phase. So, because there's so many people who struggle with uh, drugs and, and loss, right? Like, yeah. whether they've lost a parent or they've lost a, a loved one or, uh, and then drugs. And, like, those are two things that really could destroy a person when they happen at once. Um, and there are a lot of people who don't have access to um, a therapist for whatever reason or mental health care. Yeah. So what was your, when you say you were introspective, like, were you journaling? Were you talking? Like, what was that? No, I mean, that was, those were the early years of me doing comedy. Right. Um, So I think I was just spending a lot of time thinking about my life and my voice and my thoughts on living in general, partly because of that whole scenario. Um, I'm very lucky that I do have a great family and great friends, though. So, So, like, even in my times of trouble I never felt like I was alone I never felt like nobody cared for me or I had no one to live for Mm. you know so like I always I've I've never been much of a like need a shoulder to cry on type person so I don't reach out for help a lot but anytime I needed help I had someone that would and could help me so that just having that safety net was a mental relaxant Mm -hmm. that allowed me to feel like everything would be fine right and then like did you so were you crying on your dad's shoulder at, at, at some point, no, or were you honestly, the type that like held it in well, or specific, didn't cry at all? Specifically, what I probably could have used the most help with in that time, looking back, was instead trying to be the shoulder for everyone else. Like my dad had just lost his wife, so I was trying to be the shoulder for him. So instead of dealing with my own emotions of losing my mother, I was trying to help my father not be so miserable in the process of losing his wife. You know, and. And that's that's one of those things where, like, my dad is in therapy, I'm sure, largely because of that whole ordeal. And I've seen what a positive impact therapy and, and, and antidepressants have been in his life. So, like, I'm certainly an advocate for whatever makes people feel better. 
Uh, so did your did your 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 dad and your sister start therapy at the same time for the same reasons, or is it? No, they. And again, none of this was like contingent on my mom passing. Like okay. my dad was in therapy before my okay, mom passed, okay. but it was just okay. I would just assume that right. the shift there was like a different shift in focus in what he was yeah. in therapy for after. Right, right. My sister is in therapy working on herself, you know. Right. And it's it's funny we all grew up in the same house. But if you ask her, we had completely different childhoods. And she's, to be fair, she's the oldest of three, and I'm the baby and the only boy. So I'm sure her experience and my experience were very different. But um, from, you know, I'm not trying to put my sister's whole shit out there, but like no. from what she's been comfortable sharing, I think she's in therapy working through a lot of her childhood issues. Mm -hmm. um, you know what? It's, I, have a, I have three sisters, but I grew up in a household with just one of them. And, we, you know, as we're talking more now, I'm like, did we grow up in the same house? Yeah. Because we have two different perspectives on what happened. And it's just and, – and it made me understand how, like, when you hear about uh, uh, wives who find out their husbands are serial killers and they're like, I never knew. Yeah. I, I go, I get it. I understand because there's stuff that happened in the house that I was completely – there, even when it, the stuff was mentioned, it wasn't like a flashback of, "Oh, I saw a sign." Like I was, there was, I was completely in the dark as to what was taking place in the household, and um, and you just go, "Oh, sh snap!" Like, okay, right. Well, I mean, that's something comedy has taught me. Of like, think about how many comedians have the same premise or the same topic with a completely different angle. We're right. all looking at the same exact thing, but see it different ways. It's that story of the two blind men who are touching an elephant. You know, it's like, imagine one of you is on the tail and one of you is on the leg uh, or something. Le you, right. You know? That's exactly what it is. What What are you reading right now? Are you, do you read? Are you, are you I, a reader or are you a documentary No, watching? no, I'm, I'm a big reader. Um, right now, my guilty reading is, um, ugh, I'm blanking on the name, but Dan Brown's new book. It was a complete oh. airport purchase. Oh, yeah, not not the Omen, the Origin? Origin. Origin. That's, I'm like halfway through Origin right now. Everybody's talking about how good that book is. I'm not that into it. <laughs> <laughs> I, so everybody could fuck off. Um no, honestly, it's like I loved Da Vinci Code, oh, man. and I loved Angels and Demons. Yeah, Da Vinci Code. And I read Code those probably 15 years ago. Right. And then it was one of those days where my flight was delayed on a comedy traveling trip. I had four hours, and I was like, let me just find the easiest book that's going to actually keep me busy. I saw you had a new one. I bought it. Right. It's not bad, uh -huh. but it's not nearly as good. Like, the fact that within the first 60 pages, Uber... Yeah. Became one of the plot points. I was like, "Oh, he sold out." Oh wow! Oh, now Uber bought into the damn yeah, brand. Like, yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. way. <laughs> and so I was just, I just kind of mentally checked out from that. Place. Oh um, man, I'm reading, I'm reading a book called Contagious right now, oh, which right. is, That's which is book. about, um, like how and why things become popular. So it's not contagious from a medical standpoint, but it right. like talks about mark marketing, marketing, yeah. Um, now, have you pulled anything from that book? Is anything stood out to you so far? Where you're like, wow. No. Well, the, the, what I like and dislike about the book is that it's all very boilerplate. Like, so there's no like revelations where I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe. Like, it's all very exactly what you would expect, but he breaks it down to a little bit more of a degree. So it's like everything you would think works, and then he explains the science behind why. And so okay. that's been a little bit interesting. 
Um, and then fiction wise, I recently read My Name is Asher Lev, and I love that book. My name is, what is that book about? Uh, my name is Asher Lev, it's by Chaim Potok, and it's basically about this kid who was raised in a Hasidic community in Brooklyn who has no real interest in Judaism, and he's just an incredibly gifted artist from like the age of five. And his dad is a bigwig in the community and just wants his son to be like a good Jewish kid and hates the fact that he's only interested in art. But the rabbi of the community actually notices his gift, and it's kind of like the push and pull of what you do with a gifted child who's not necessarily going the way of the community. Right. And it was it was great. Or do you feel like it's it's been very much collaborative from... We we work well together. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing we pride ourselves on is communicating really well. So it's not like she cooks because she likes to cook, and I can't cook. So it's not like a women make <laughs> dinner, men put the food on the table. Esther does the cooking, right? right but right. I do the cleaning. Okay. Like, and and part of that is because I'm OCD. So like, Esther will do the dishes, and then I'll be the type to come in and rewash the plates that she just washed because I didn't think she did it right or washed them thoroughly enough. So it's like, we just kind of fell into a natural rhythm based on what we each like to do and how we contribute separately, you know. And then as far as work goes, we're both working comedians and writers, and in the and in the industry, and we kind of do our best to support each other as the opportunities come. So, like, because Esther was living in L.A. when we first started dating, and because my job is in New York and I have to be there for eight months out of the year, Esther moved to New York for me. But because she picked up her whole life and came to New York because of my job, now when we're in the off-season of Maisel, I let her call the shots in terms of our schedule. Or if she was to get a job in L.A., then we would go back to L.A. in the meantime. So it's like we really do try to cater to each other's needs as well as we can. Right, right. And yeah. it doesn't always fit perfectly, but that's where communication is important. The intention is there. Yes. Like, it's like, hey, listen, I'm aware of the sacrifice that you've made and what you've done, and here's, here's how I want to show my... Yeah. Um, uh, affection and 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 so where's that you know yeah. uh, that between ground? Um, you're talking about how you go back and you wash the dishes if you yeah. feel like she doesn't clean up good enough. Yeah, um, which made me think like because I'm OCD like that too. Like I, like you know anytime I go to a restaurant, I'm always looking at the glass. Like even the water spots, I can't. Yeah, my OCD <laughs> has cost me a lot of housework because like I do all the laundry too because I don't uh, like the way she folds the clothes. That's hilarious. You know, so it's like. <laughs> She's like, yeah, go ahead and have your little OCD freakouts because you're going to clean the kitchen, you're going to do the dishes, you're going to do the laundry, and I'll cook you dinner. Which is what makes you a great writer, right? That's what makes us good writers, that we are obsessive over Yeah, meticulous words. with your words. It's yeah. like, do I say from or to? Uh, like, all those, how many syllables is that? Uh, I have to right. get that down to one syllable. Like, all those little things make a difference in how, it, how a joke hits. Um, but because because that also makes me think about your gambling. So like, because that gives you an I would imagine the gambling gives you an outlet for yes. your OCD. So I love craps. That's that's like I bet on sports because I'm a huge sports fan. But when you catch me in the casino, I'm only at the craps table. And part of the reason is because there's so much mental math on every throw of the dice based on the odds and based on what the payouts are. Part of the reason I'm so addicted to craps is because I'm addicted to doing the math while I play because it is a mental outlet. Like, I'm constantly stimulated at the craps table. And, and uh, do you feel like you're up 
overall, overall the times you played at craps overall, broke even. Lifetime? Or? No, there's no way. There's no way. I'd be I'd be lying if I looked you in the face right now and said, Yeah, I'm up. I'm up on this trip and I'm trying to live in the present. I'm a Buddhist when it comes to gambling. <laughs> All I have is the here and now. And right now I'm up. <laughs> yeah, because you know, I, I wanna gamble. I can't stomach it. Well, what I would say to people who don't gamble and say they want to gamble is, A, don't, and B, especially if you know that about yourself, like, you should never play with money you can't afford to lose. And that's easier said than done, and obviously that's how gambling problems are formed. It's not like anyone just wants to go lose money. But, but A, if it just hurts your heart to lose $10 because you know how hard you work for your money, Uh, and then B, if you really are out here on a budget, you know, it's like... One of the one of the big obstacles for me taking this gig for the week was like I would hate to gamble so much that at the end of the week put myself through living in Vegas for a week, I go home without the paycheck that I came here for. Right, right, right. You know, one of the best the first times I uh came to Vegas was in a Vegas ball play college football. And we had our we, we were in the uh, bowl game here and it was my first time in Vegas. I was like, yeah. Oh, so I'm just going nuts, you know, because they had uh uh a cheerleading squad at the airport greeting us. Oh, yeah. And then you see the pinball, like, just the lights, the Vegas, ass, the baby. girls. And you're like, ah, oh, you know, it's swingers, you know, yeah, like. Yeah. Um, and so I lost all my money the first day. Yeah. All, everything. Yeah. And, and we were here for, like, I think five or six days. And I was thinking about robbing people. I literally was just yeah. walking in. The, and uh, I, I didn't gamble for, like, ten years after that. And then I read in a book somewhere that said, um, Always take 10% of what you make and play with it just so that you don't get too um, uh, stiff with the – that's, yeah, that's not right. the word. But, like, you know, it's like, yeah, you work for it, but you also want to remind yourself that you have to enjoy life and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Right. And so if I do gamble, like, I would, like, calculate 10%, 10% of what of I'm making, and then – I can gamble with that, no problem. If I lose it, I feel good about it. I had fun. And then anything beyond that, uh, that's when the shame and guilt. Yeah, and well, the, the key to, the key to uh, not losing all your money or making a little bit of money in gambling, which I had to learn the hard way by staying way too long too many times, is you have to know when to walk away. Because mm-hmm. the hardest, it's easy to walk away from a table down 50 or down 100 because you're frustrated. It's hard when you made $500 and you feel that rush, and you get addicted to that happiness of making money in a fun table. Right. And then slowly but surely they chip away at it, and you keep on playing because you're like, well, I made this money. Next thing you know, you're going back in your pocket yeah. and gave it all back. And, and that's, when it, that's when it gets ugly. I mean, it's, it's almost like Oreos. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like you have a couple. You're like, this is good. Yeah. And you just keep eating, and you, you ate beyond where it tastes good. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you feel bad, so now you go back and you get something else. And I'm really just sharing my food problems. But I Uh, I mean, at least in Vegas, there are other things you can do. You can go to the pool. You can go to the Red Rocks Canyon. You can go see a show or hit a buffet. Right. Like one of my first headline weekends years ago when I started headlining was Comics and Mohegan Sun. And that's just in the middle of nowhere, Connecticut. Uh, And you're just on the premises in the casino. And I think... 
like I worked that whole weekend and it cost me five hundred dollars to work the Mohegan Sun and I felt like such shit yeah. after that just because yeah. I was like I can't believe I just did not only did that gig for free but paid the casino. You know, have you seen that new movie uh, Hustlers with? Jennifer I haven't Lopez? seen it. I want to see it so. Uh, bad. And I'm not giving anything away, but you know, about these strippers who work in, yeah. a, in a in a strip club, and there's a scene in there. One of the strippers is. Uh, I think she's buying a drink at the at the bar of the strip club, and then the other strip, the, the the you know one of the the head strippers, is like, "Are you invested in this club?" And she and she was like, "No." She's like, "So why are you giving your money back to it?" Yeah. And I think about that now when I'm on the road. Of, I don't want to give back to uh, a thing I'm not invested in. Right. When I could take that money and invest it in something else, I don't want to spend it on like frivolous, you know. Things. I mean, that doesn't mean that Chip you don't have fun. Tip the waste staff, Leo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, always, man. Always. You know what's funny is at the bottom of those those checks, there was um, they tell you now what eighteen percent yeah. is, what twenty percent is, and it's always less than what I would have tipped. Right. Well, because I think they don't include taxes when they do it. Like they do the percentage based on just the food costs without tax. Oh. I'm always like, man, if you guys didn't tell me what it was, I would have, I would have given you, you know, so much more than that. Um, well, you know, you still can give. Yeah, you can still give. You can still give from your heart. <laughs> you don't have to be screwed. Uh, man, I, I had, a, I had a question at the top of my head, and I forget what I, what I was gonna ask you. Oh, um, be, you know, so before you met Esther, right, you, you go through these different relationships and, and breakups. Did you have a tough breakup before Esther? Not saying right before, but was there somewhere along the path? Yeah. Um, and how did you work through that breakup? Uh, I worked through that. That was the tough breakup was like a year and a half after my mom passed. And that was a relationship that, truth be told, looking back, I should have known from the start wasn't the right girl for me. Like, that was one where, if I'm being honest with myself, I was just blinded by beauty. Like, she was a gorgeous woman who I just knew wasn't a good person. But, I, like, I put up with a lot of bullshit I shouldn't have just because she was fine. And, um, and, and when we broke up, I was really heartbroken and, again, wasn't necessarily feeling great about myself and life in general. And that's when I was barely making any money if I was making money at all as a comedian. And that's so, like, I'm broke, feeling like a loser in my job and just got broken up with. Um, and that was, it was like six months of moping around and feeling horrible and making bad decisions. And then from there, it was like another six months of when you can finally, the gray clouds start to move. That's when I got super motivated. And that's kind of what lit a fire under me to take my comedy to a next level. And the year after that is when I moved to New York and everything really started cooking. W was there anything that you did intentionally to help you? Was it Were you just basically waiting for the clouds to move? Or were there things where you were like, I'm going to start doing this or start doing, or you no, know what I mean? Not, there it's possible that there were at the time and I'm just forgetting them, but there was no big thing that I can think of. I think it was just one of those things that like, what I will say to pain in general is like, and again, everyone deals with it differently, mm -hmm. but I'm a big advocate of letting yourself feel, letting yourself hurt. Like mm -hmm. there, there's this whole idea that like you just need to snap out of it or if you get up and work out or if you get a haircut, things are going to start to change. And I'm like, no, if you're hurting, it's okay to let yourself hurt. And then when your grieving process, whatever that might be, naturally lifts and it's naturally finished, then you can start 
putting the pieces back together. And so I think because I gave myself six months to be sad, not to say that those were productive or positive months, but I let the hurt hurt so that by the time it was gone, I was ready to be creative and I was ready to be motivated and I was suddenly excited by life again. And so I think uh, what got me out of that rut is when, once the clouds kind of went away, I did experience a creative explosion where all these emotions that I had bottled up that were just swirling around in my head, I was finally ready to give an outlet and a mm. voice to, and that catapulted a lot of the comedy that I wrote afterwards. Well, so you weren't even writing during that time then? Maybe I was, but, but not writing from the heart. You know, like I wasn't being honest about what I was writing. I might have been writing to feel like I was writing, but I wasn't really putting my feelings down. Right, because, uh, you know, one of the first stages in grief is uh, you're angry. And so usually your your all your emotion is uh, directed outwards. So like she did this, she said that, and like you're and and it's not until months later that you start to look at what you did and how you contributed. And like you said, you knew from day one. Right. Uh, me actually, one of my exes, same situation. So gorgeous, so beautiful, and I put up with so much just because yeah. of. Um, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I, and, yeah. And that was a valuable lesson in, like, trusting your gut, not mm. being afraid to, like, honor your actual instincts. Because mm. if I was being honest with myself from the very beginning, it was off. Mm. Mm. So. Uh, Noah, we know, I know you got to get going. Um, I always ask this of people right before, at the, at the end of the podcast, because so, I always feel like there's someone listening in who's on a precipice of, of taking their life. Which is why we talked a lot about breakups and um, and drug use because a lot of people do take their life over a breakup and not knowing how to cope with it and then they mix it in with drugs um, and and that has dire consequences for for a lot of people. So I appreciate one that you shared your journey uh, in terms of how you cope with that and and letting us know where you are now and and it's good to see that you're thriving. Um, but what would you say to somebody who's on a precipice of, of taking their life before you kill yourself? Well, the first thing I would say is, sincerely, I'm sorry you're in so much pain. Like, I think the natural instinct when you hear about people that are considering going down that path is to try to offer a solution, try to tell them what they could or should do to fix it. When really, a lot of times people just want to know that their pain is understood. And so I would legitimately, sincerely look them in the eyes and say, I'm sorry that you're hurting because that sucks. And then beyond that, going back to what I said, I would say it's okay to hurt. It's natural to hurt. And the hurt will pass. Like, I don't know how long it's going to take, and I don't know what is going to get you over that hill. But eventually the pain will go away. And I am very confident that if you can – wait out the hurt and wait out the pain, it will get better and you'll be so glad that you did not take your life. Noah Garden Swartz, thank you so much. Thank you. For this doing this episode. Appreciate Where can people me. find you? Uh, on social media, I'm at Noah G Comedy and my website is NoahGcomedy.com. And if not, they can find me in these streets. Yes, sir. And then check out, uh, you have a Comedy Central. Uh, I have a Comedy Central half hour. half hour. And then I have two albums, um, the first one called Blunt and, and the second one that I actually just released a month ago called White Man Can't Joke. Yes, sir. Uh, check those out. Uh, check out, yeah, he has, you did Conan twice? Conan right. twice, uh -huh. James Corden. Okay. So 
Uh, so there's a lot of stuff out there for you guys to consume and check them out and support. Thank you for tuning in. Once again, this podcast is not a substitute for you talking to someone, talking to a therapist, talking to your dad. Talk to a stranger. Talk to an enemy. You know, call, call customer service. Talk to somebody. And, uh, and, and trust me, your story uh, uh, needs to be heard, wants to be heard. People want to hear what you have to say. And uh, we appreciate you staying with us uh, another day, and we will talk to you.